0: Sequel Cast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com.
1: Good old Simon. Do you remember this? How do you? Well, I've waited a long time for payback. <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast to a podcast looking at movies and franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shervey, with me is Thrasher. Hello, fellow prisoners of the Cube. And this time, we're looking at a, uh, a sequel called Cube to Hypercube. Or, as I like to say, Cube Squared Hypercube. Right, as the uh, the tagline is, there is more to fear than you can see. Uh, this kind of theatrical release, which is kind of surprising to me, how crummy this movie looks, uh, directed by Andrzej Sekula, produced by Ernie Barbarash, P. and Peter Block, and Susan Colvin, written by Sean Hood, starring Carrie Matchett, Geraint Wynn Davies, Grace Lynn Kuhn, music by Norman Ornstein, cinematography Andrzej Sekula, so the same DP as the director, which is unusual, edited by Mark Sanders, Uh, released by Lionsgate Films in the U.S. This came out in 2002 in the Czech Republic. I think in the U.S., I don't think it got a theatrical release. I bet you this premiered on Sci-Fi Channel or
1: something. I I don't recall it ever getting a theatrical release. Yeah, I think it's
0: one of those where, like, overseas, they might have had it over uh, in theaters, or maybe they just had it, like, one night for friends and family just to qualify as a theatrical release for certain awards. Um, But, yeah, so... Cube 2, Hypercube, I remember uh, last week, Thrasher, you were saying, you're excited to talk about this movie series with me because um, it had been a movie series in which I had never seen all the movies in the series before, which might be a first for sequel cast uh, <laughs> to in all our history, and what I think interesting about Cube 2 and next week's Cube Zero is they are different ways at approaching Doing a, uh, a sequel to what is a very um, you know stripped down, basically one set indie movie, which is what Cube was.
1: Yeah, and and despite and despite that, like th- this, like Cube Two Hypercube. I remember when this was announced. So this came out five years after the original. Uh, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, the when it was uh, announced it was uh, announced under the title of hypercube uh, and i think i feel like i had to have read about this in uh, film fatals or one of one of the movie magazines i was reading at the time and they were making a big deal about how you know the cube's not just going to travel through space now it's going to travel through time and what could that mean um and there was also you know the rumors you know are we going to see anything outside of the cube this time and we do, but it's only the barest, most scant of images from outside the cube. I think barest,
0: most scant is the way to, to describe this. But I think before, um, you know, the, the plot is a bunch of people are in a cube, except everything's stark white instead of mechanical. And there, as you mentioned, there's uh, time and, and space
1: and uh, conspiracy theories, all sorts of things involved. Um, it's it's everything. It's everything from the first movie, but the relationships are different and the stakes have presumably changed.
0: Right, and in uh, you know this came out two thousand two, so this is three years after Phantom Menace. So CG had had started to to creep up in more uh, low budget productions as a result. And man, I mean this this time was bad for like cheap CG. I think now you can have. Lower budget things and have CG and make it look pretty good, really. Um, but the special effects in here—they're not completely shitty, but they're mostly shitty, and it really took me out of the story.
1: Well, despite the filmmakers' best efforts, it is so strange. This this looks like a much cheaper film than yeah. the first film. I mean, that first that first set was just so wonderfully detailed and practical. Um, and of course that set, I'm sure, no longer existed by the time they made this, but they clearly wanted to make the Cube look more high-tech in the way that Apple products of the time looked more high-tech by minimizing the detail sure. and using yeah. a lot of clean lines and reflective surfaces, because this, this was the, the, aid, the first age of the iPod when this came out, and mm. in their quest yep. to do that, they ended up making, and rather than making a set look high-tech and streamlined, they made the set look cheap.
0: Well, the the other thing as well, and I don't know if this was filmed in a real set or green screen, and, and frankly, I don't really care, but there's so much detail with the, the strange imagery and the all the uh, the crisscross of the, of the the metal, the cage-like aspects of the cube wall in the original cube film, which we discussed last week. You can get that from sequelcast2.podbean.com or just look up sequelcast2 on iTunes or whatever you listen to podcasts on. And, see, that's what we call a plug, ladies and gentlemen. Um... With with Cube 2, it's the walls are stark white in the center of each wall. And it was the first thing I noticed is a is a cube drawing, which happens to be like a four-dimensional cube, which folds into the plot. And because of that, it makes the characters look more pasted onto the background because it's so much lighting and everything to get that stark white. Uh, you know, it looks like 2001, A Space Odyssey a bit. Looks It, it brings to mind
1: uh, the planet of Kamino in Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, it, it actually does kind of... It, it weakens the depth of field
0: in a lot of cases. It, yes, that's what I was trying to say. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, right. And so that starts to make it look cheaper. I think the acting in this is worse, I don't think it was great in the first movie. And yet they have some very interesting ideas. They do lean on some of the advanced mathematics concepts. Um, there are some good things and some, some bad things in this movie, but it is... Um, well, I guess we should just, uh, before we start talking about it proper, Thrasher, when was the first time you saw Cube
1: 2 Hypercube? So the first time the first time I saw Cube, uh, Cube 2 Hypercube, so despite the fact that I was really interested in seeing it when it came out, it came out while I was in college, and for whatever reason, I couldn't find it. We didn't have streaming at the time. Mm, uh, sure. The local video to... stores didn't carry it. Yeah. I didn't see this until, I think maybe it was 2010, um, wow. Okay. My, my girlfriend now wife, uh, Sarah, uh, she had uh, she had Netflix and we were hanging out at her place and we ended up we ended up marathoning the cube all of the cube movies over <laughs> the weekend. and that was the first time that I ever saw this one. How about that? Yeah, the first time I watched it,
0: um, I think it had been on like Netflix or Hulu or some streaming service before and I had tried to watch it. And within the first five minutes, I was like, nope, because it looks so cheap. And uh, you know, since then, I, I watched it for the show. And um, this is not a film that benefits if you watch it back-to-back with the first film. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, let's talk about some of the cast here before going into the plot. Uh, I did not recognize any of the actors in here.
1: Well, to be fair, um, we didn't recognize any of the actors in the first one. <laughs>
0: Uh, there, there was a few. I recognized the guy in the prologue sequence with the, the big eyes and the big nose. And then there was the uh, um, the guy that was the cop, was the uh, the, the sugar bear uh, doling out um, army dude from Hedwig and the
1: Angry Inch. Oh my god, you're right!
0: <laughs> so, god, as soon as I noticed that, I was so distracted. Right. I'm like, is he going to reach into his pocket? Would you like a gloomy bear? But, the yeah. a little, uh, little bishop in the turtle neck. <laughs> well, look, the bishop is crowning, yeah. Um, okay, so. But as far as these uh, performances, I don't even. A lot of it just is so bland. You know, I thought uh, Grace Kung as the, as the blind teenager was kind of interesting because they put her in some unique scenarios and she looked suitably
1: distressed. Well, she, of, of everyone in this movie, I think she, she is the standout. I think she does overall the best job acting and, and kind of inhabiting her character. Um, I do want to single out Barbara Gordon, uh, not from Batman, who plays uh, Miss Paley, who eventually hmm. we find out is a retired uh, theoretical mathematician. So... Clearly, her character is probably supposed to have d- dementia or, or yes, Alzheimer's yeah. as, a, as a parallel to the character who had uh, who had s- uh, developmental disability in the first film, but they make her. She's so happy and cheerfully midwestern about everything <laughs> that it un- it undercuts her character so much. Like she, oh, I'm just so delighted to be here. Oh, we gotta watch. Oh, I'm just gonna walk my dog now. Like. She, she, I am infuriated by how pleasantly Midwestern she is. It's as if she walked in from a Prairie Home Companion sketch into this movie.
0: Yeah, I think she has a sack of three bean salad in her back pocket. Um, the, I mean, yeah, there's that with her, and it it, it is a bit distracting, but also like it, it felt a bit real. I don't know. I've met people like that at retirement homes and so forth, and I, I didn't really think she was. Uh, overdoing it. Well, um, we, we will probably continue to disagree on that. Sure, and uh, speaking of overdoing it, though, you do hear the Canadian and the accents really come through <laughs> in, in parts of the movie. Which, fine, think, they film I, in Canada, I get it. But I mean, I don't think that hurts it. No. It, it's not like a character says, I'm from America, what's that about? Or something. But, a boot, you me. A boot, yes. Oh, we can make all sorts of cheap Canada jokes, but Kevin Smith already did that. And yoga hosers. uh ah, ha, ha. Okay. Where am I going with this? I have no idea. Let's start talking about... <laughs> this is a Well, do, well do we want
1: to talk about any more of the performances? Because Jorane uh, mm. Davies is Simon Grady. I, yeah. I, I had a lot of fun watching his performance, but it's not a very grounded performance, and the moment you, the moment you see him, you realize, oh, well, he's going to turn out to be the bad guy. <laughs> Right. um, You know he'll be the first to go crazy and become a threat to everyone
0: else. I liked Neil Crone as Jerry. He's revealed to be a guy who helped construct the panels for some of the doors. In that, maybe it's more with uh, the writing than his performance, but it's like they expect him to know everything. He's like, I just worked on doors for the cube. I
1: don't know shit. I I found that to be endearing. You know, he does a really good job of, of playing, he does a really good job of playing a character who's smart, but not yeah. the smartest. And like I I don't know if you've ever been in that situation but like when when you're an idiot and you make a mistake or do something stupid no one cares cuz you're an idiot. But if you're the smart guy and you make a mistake or do mm. something stupid you will never hear the end of it cuz you're supposed to be the smart one. And that's what his character is.
0: Yeah, it it, it just felt, you know, pretty uh pretty real. Uh, also, I was amused with the Again, this might be more liking the character than the performance, but Bruce Gray as Colonel McGuire, and that he he references like a lot of things from the first Cube, which is kind of comforting. Because um, frankly, all these Cube sequels could all be standalone movies. I mean, you know, you could watch them without seeing the the previous ones and not really miss anything.
1: Well, that that's one thing that really does differentiate uh, Cube from Cube Squared Hypercube is that in the first Cube, they do c- keep everything inexplicable. Uh, and, yeah, uh, like yeah. Nothing is ever really explained. The characters have theories about what the cube is and why they're in it, but they only ever remain just hypothetical guesses. This movie attempts to establish a mythology surrounding the cube. Now, the mythology is still very vague and doesn't really answer questions, but they are they are acknowledging that greater forces are at work making the cube possible. In particular, uh, the Ison Corporation.
0: Yeah, and, and you do get some throwaway lines in the original that they don't reference Aizon, but they do say like, "Oh, what's this cube? Well, it must be a government job or something." You know, like people have their theories. But you're right, and that when you when you keep things in the do- in the dark, uh, especially with these sort of concepts, it make, it's much more interesting than as soon as you try to explain it. It's like, oh, that's why it is. And and you cannot rely on your imagination as much. Uh, I mean, the opening credits of this film is a very dull, I found, uh, overhead shot of, as we see, it's going to be the people inside the cube
1: kind of being um, sort of, you know, like processed in the center. Yeah, we see them all in medical beds. Although, there are two characters that we don't see in this opening credits sequence. And Mm. that should make us suspicious yes yeah if 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 you pay attention to the opening credit sequence uh you don't see Kate Fillmore on one of the beds and you don't see uh you don't see uh, sasha uh the the blind girl right on any of the beds but everyone else is there so that's 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 a really That's a really subtle tip-off. I I think a lot of people watching it might not notice that there that there's a glaring absence in the cast, and that that will pay off later in the film.
0: That's a good catch. Um, The way the movie starts uh, doesn't really help things because you know, much like the first film, you have a little standalone sequence where someone dies in a room in the cube, and in this one, she goes into a room, and it um, you know something sucks her up and she dies. We don't see it. It's a cheap looking effect as soon as I saw that I said this i'm in trouble here <laughs> do you find that as impressive as the iconic sequence from the original where the guys chopped into cubes
1: no it, it does it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same punch and I think I think part of what it is is they are so dependent in this movie on CGI to provide the deaths. I feel like they couldn't create a convincing CGI death for this character, so they just decided not to show it, when the real solution should have been to do something practical. Right. I almost wonder, like, did
0: they shoot, you know, did it originally cut to a different angle, and you got to see the gory details and the effect looked so bad, they decided not to go with it?
1: I don't know. Although, I'm I'm guessing that maybe the thing that killed her is one of the traps we see later in the movie.
0: That could be, but
1: it's so—it's too abstract
0: the way it, it, it's demonstrated. You, yeah. uh, on some—you know—not as much as in Cube, as say the Saw movies. But on some level, you're looking to see what the traps are, right? And when the first trap is something that's off screen, and it looks like a Wiley e. Coyote effect I mean, or something. For, for, all, just for
1: all we know, she was grabbed by a monster. Although, for all we know, she could have been killed by Simon Grady. Maybe Simon Gray yes. reached in from off camera and pulled her up and killed her. The real monster was us all along, <laughs> to an extent, yes. <laughs> but oh, and we talked about so we talked about in the first film how there were six principal characters, one for every side of a cube. Correct. In this film, there are seven principal characters, one for every polyhedral segment of a hypercube. Jeez. Yeah, no, that's another good
0: catch. I I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, And having more characters is really a a weakness. In a movie like like this that's pretty short, you don't have much time for development, and a a lot of these characters um, seem a bit thin. You have Max, who's a game developer, um, who the actor seems a bit old for the part, I think because his age, they seem to imply like he's he's high school or not very old, but he looks older than that. Um, but he does the sort of kid genius thing well enough, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really so so both both him uh, and let me uh, make sure I'm getting the uh, the name right. Oh, so so both both him and uh, Julius Sewell. I'm really infuriated of the way that they are written out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, they just. Uh... So you know what we we will probably be discussing a lot of the story in a non-linear fashion, but that's because the narrative is in itself passively non-linear right and
0: overly confusing for the sake of being confusing and i'm wondering if this is an influence of say pulp fiction or something
1: well it could be well i mean keep in keep in mind the uh, the director uh Sakula, uh, he was quentin tarantino's director of photography
0: i didn't know that on, that's interesting
1: on uh, pulp fiction and uh, reservoir dogs if i remember correctly how about that yeah, and i think i features. think he's collaborated with with him several more times but like that's where he, where he's coming from but so I guess we should get this out of the way. So the first, the first cube, you know, it the segments of the cube move through space to rearrange themselves. So with cube squared hypercube, uh, the cube moves through time uh, to the point where the implication of the film is that this cube is one single room that, due to the fact that it kind of exists outside of time, loops back on itself in different periods of the past and future. Yes. yes. So it's really, it's it's they never leave the room, they're just entering the same room at different points in the past and future, uh, to the point where some of the characters briefly meet themselves, uh, the geography makes no sense, intentionally so, and I think a way that does work. But one of the other things that they play around with, but they don't play around with nearly as much, is the idea that there are parallel timelines working, and that different versions of themselves from different parallel universes are also in the cube because once they enter the cube, any decision they make kind of creates forking timelines. So there are multiple copies of every character. And I really wish they'd played around with that. I really wish at least one character got a chance to have a lengthy interaction with themselves from a different timeline.
0: Yeah, it seems like a missed opportunity. What you get more is like someone running into the dead body of someone they just saw in the other room, or they they you know run into something they, they recognize from earlier. And you, you do get a good scene, I think, of where they look one of the persons I don't remember who looks through the door
1: and sees a character killing another character. Mm, yeah. And again, this is one of the things where the movie kind of tips its hat a little too quickly because uh-huh. it very quickly confirms, oh, Simon Grady is going to turn out to be the threat. And much like the cop in the first film, he throws people through the room as human boots yeah. to test traps. So one thing I do like about Grady that where they do play around with the idea of parallel universes is that whenever Grady gets separated from the rest of the party... He goes and he finds a parallel version of Jerry, kills him and eats him and takes his watch. Yeah, and he has like all sorts of watches on his what? wrist. And, and like he resorts to cannibalism way too fast, but I love that he does. Like I, he's the only character that brings up the really practical issue of how are they going to eat, and he solves that really quickly. But I love how by the end of the movie he has like what eight or ten of Jerry's watches all up and down his arms.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a it's a nice you know kind of visual bit of storytelling. It's it's almost comical <laughs> the way it plays out. I also thought uh, one scene I thought the effects worked is you have um, Max and and Julia have sex and then you get this sort of like time lapse
1: thing happening in the room. Well, it's it's actually really interestingly shot, because Julia is uh, so they were all, you know, they were all ab- so this is, unlike the first one, they're not in jumpsuits, they're in whatever they were wearing when they were abducted, and right. Julia was leaving a nightclub, and so she's wearing this really fancy club dress that this really long, beautiful flowing red uh, train and so when uh, Julia... When uh, Julia and uh, the game designer start having sex in the cube, they like float in the middle of the cube and you get these really neat shots of like the red fabric of the dress blowing all around them. I'm sure it's done using an old magicians, classic magician like suspension trick, but the zero G effect is really good. But this is where it frustrates me because they then just sort of die. They just die in each other's arms and are immediately mummified corpses. Yep. Like so. So, what was the trap? <laughs>
0: Their genitals? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know, it also it's like, 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 like if like, you're having if you're having sex for that long, would you get tired? Would you want a break? Did well, yeah, they...
1: <laughs> yeah, like what, what, like, <laughs> like the practicalities of it. I don't understand what killed them. And also, yes. where does the like and and it's like the zero the zero G is fun, but like it's just it's one it's one of those things where the, the it's such it's so such a, an arcane scene that it does not provide any context for itself. It's kind of like once the beauty of it goes away, it's very infuriating to look at.
0: It's nice here. You get um, a big thing in the first movie is they noticed. Uh, After a while, the little tunnels that connect the parts of the cube have numbers.
1: Yes, and one of the things about this movie is nothing is labeled. Nothing has numbers. Nope. So they have to start providing their own numbers. Uh, And in fact, they come across notes written by themselves, possibly in the future, possibly in the past, possibly from parallel universes, And one thing that's kind of interesting is that a number, the 60659 is a numerical sequence that keeps coming up in all the notes and in all the equations they see. Um, Although, the first time we see see 60659, the handwriting is so sloppy, I was waiting for it to turn out to be 62909, and that that was going to be the big twist. They were looking at the numbers upside down. It's not it is 60659 yeah. and it's not until the end that they realize what that is is that apparently it's it's and and again this is this is one of those things that really infuriates me in this kind of movie where and i hate it in in short stories too cuz i've seen this in short stories where there is something that the characters need to figure out and it's something that the reader or the audience should also be able to figure out but the author withholds a very basic, important piece of information that shouldn't be withheld. And in this case, 60659 is actually 6 hours, 6 minutes and 59 seconds. And that's when the hypercube resets to its default starting position in space and time. Well, what you're mentioning there, Thrasher, is
0: the weakness of all the Sherlock Holmes, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle stories, and that The best part for me of those stories is at the end where Sherlock Holmes reveals, well, how did you know the killer? And he reveals all this stuff that is never, you know, noted upon in the story itself. I think a good mystery, especially if you're reading it, the the reader should be caught up in it trying to solve
1: it, like the main characters are. Well, that's what's great about Agatha Christie is that you have all the information Poirot has access to, you just aren't necessarily in a position to make the same intuitive leap. And so in this one, So, so for this to work, you have to believe that a version of these characters that figured out what six hundred six five nine means never bothered to put the colons in it to make it clear that it is a a time notation rather than just a string of five digits.
0: I did really like early on. You have the colonel is in the because he's familiar somehow with with stuff uh, with the first Cube movie. He's like, oh, we have to find the numbers. This will mean this. Like he's making all these assumptions. This cube is the same as the cube from the first film, and he's wrong. But it's nice to have someone that's an expert, kind of like the um, the guy who escaped all the jail
1: cells in the in the first one. It is. It is nice, although so the colonel the, the, the is always is always there, very very briefly. At one at one point, yep. Uh, a version of well, th- so this is another thing that I I really wish it paid off. So when they first find the colonel. Um, The detective points out that the colonel has clearly been tortured because he has these bruises and and these, like, cigarette burns on him. I kept waiting for it to turn out that one of them was the one who tortured him, possibly in a different timeline. Ah, yeah, that would have been good. I I kept waiting for one of these characters... I kept waiting afterwards for one of the characters to have a cigarette on him, and then later to have them find a previous version of the colonel and torture him for information, since they know he knows something. But that doesn't—that's such a brilliant opportunity for some great time travel, fourth-dimensional storytelling. But they don't take it, and so we're left with the assumption: Oh, well, I guess he was tortured outside the cube and then dumped in here. Hmm. Like I really, I, I th- there was this needs a slightly more clever screenplay so that they can really take advantage of the fact that this story is non-linear.
0: Well, what's frustrating, I did not have time to listen to this podcast, unfortunately. But on um, the uh, SFS Movie Club discussion podcast back in 2010, they interviewed the, the author of the screenplay, Sean Hood, and his screenplay was apparently like really different, much more elaborate. And uh, his script was uh, subsequently rewritten by one of the producers. Um, huh. And. You know whether for budgetary reasons or, or otherwise, but it it does show that it's kind of a sloppy, haphazard movie in the way things go. Um, I, I was mentioning a bit of the effects earlier, and one thing that really struck me is I think it's the worst effect in the film, and it totally and and I don't mind bad special effects. If you listen to this, the sequel cast you, you know, I like cheese, and I think so so does Thrasher to some extent. Indeed, I and, do. Yep. But if an effect is not so bad that it's funny, but so bad that it just takes you out of the story, I think that's what I really take offense to. And here you get one where there's a trap that makes almost sort of like a tornado thing within the cube. And a, a character gets sucked in there, and it looks so terrible of him getting chopped into pieces
1: that I would have rather they cut away and you just hear the sound effects of him getting crunched. No, that's the trap that I thought maybe kills the person in the opening shots of the movie. But yeah, they enter this room and like there's a mathematical shape just suspended in the room that gets more and more complex mm-hmm. until it turns into this crazy slicing, overlapping cube thing. That yeah, that sucks people in and, and grinds them away into nothing. And I like the effect of the shape shifting geometric shape itself. Yeah, yeah, that looks good. Um, I will say I will say that when it when it rips Jerry apart. Thankfully, they don't linger on it. It happens pretty quickly. I think that's why the effect doesn't bother me um, as much as it bothered you. It's just brief enough that I don't really have time to worry about how bad it looks. But you're right, it is not convincing.
0: And maybe because I was watching this part of the movie on my phone before bed... Um, I should just watch stuff on the TV. That's really the better way to watch it. My face is so close. No, my face is so close to the screen, (laughs) noticing (laughs) it with the more critical eye than than I would otherwise. And there's a very famous video of David Lynch saying like, "Fuck iPhones." He's like, "Who's gonna watch a movie on a two-inch screen?" I didn't design these to be made that way, but he's not (laughs) wrong, really. I mean, no. Although, consequently, some, a, a lot of like YouTube series and stuff where they realize a lot of their audience is watching on phones, they're using more close-ups than wide shots. Um, it, anyway, you know, yeah, yeah, in that sequence with the mathematical thing, I think you get a pretty exciting sequence where they're, they're moving the blind person out of the way. You know, she's going the wrong direction, and they just have to go around the perimeter of the room. Like, I think that's, a, that's one of the more successful suspense sequences in the movie. Yeah, that one that
1: does work pretty well. And you, you know what's funny, I kept the whole time, I kept waiting for Sasha to turn out to not be blind. Oh, yeah, that would be It just it it just <laughs> that seems like the kind of movie that would that would pull that as a big reveal that, that that they're they're faking it. So I will I will give the movie credit. Sasha is blind throughout the entire film. Uh, they they don't use that as an opportunity for a cheap twist. Oh, so some more of the uh, mythology this movie tries to establish, when they're talking about conspiracy theories, like out of nowhere, the game developer mentions like this mysterious figure on the internet called Alex Trusk, who's like the world's greatest hacker, um, and it's it's one of those things where like, well, they just named this person, this person's going to have to turn out to be in the cube the whole time, and in fact it does, it turns out that Sasha is Alex Trusk. Yes. Now, the funny thing is, the the only thing we know is true about Alex Trusk is that Alex Trusk is this brilliant super hacker. There, I, I, I kind of wish we, we got some, not necessarily a definite answer, but some hints about whether other parts of the conspiracy theory were true, such as that Alex Trusk is a genetically enhanced clone. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been more interesting than like what we get. Uh, towards the end of the film, it
0: makes, uh, I think, a misguided turn at Showing
1: uh, Izon, the company behind the cube. Okay, so so Izon, Do you think there's any? Do you think there's any um, symbolism in that name, or do you think it's just something vaguely corporate that they came up with? I mean, I guess Aizon backwards is is nosy, which sounds a bit like Nazi. But that's really stretching it. Because well, um, like, it's also, it's the tail end of Horizon, so, you know, I can oh, see... Oh! Yeah, I,
0: I bet you're right. Especially with all the, the fourth dimension stuff and all the things about, like, oh,
1: it, it, how much of the first film was we got to get to
0: the outside of the cube
1: and whatever. The, yeah, and I, I can see that. And I don't, know if, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but assuming the logo is in all capitals, every letter in its name is still readable as something, no matter what orientation you put it in.
0: Hmm. That's Uh, a good
1: point. I mean, I think
0: ISON works as a name. It does sound like a faceless corporation name. It's not as as stupidly obvious as the Resident Evil Umbrella
1: Corporation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so so that was one of the other big third act reveals is that so we met, we mentioned that there were two characters you don't see being processed at the beginning of the film. That's and right. one of those characters is Sasha and we find out at the end that Sasha just being a super genius figured out the mathematical basis so that the hacker like designed a game based around navigating a time-shifting cube environment and that Sasha figured out the mathematics of actually building a four dimensional structure. Um and that she knew Aizon was gonna come after her, so she decided to hide in the one place they'd never look, which is in the four dimensional structure. So she's she snuck her way in voluntarily at some point. But the other person we don't see is Kate Fillmore. Kate Fillmore we don't see getting processed at the beginning. And so at the, at the climax of the film, uh, as they're, as the cube's collapsing and they're trying to escape, uh, Simon, uh, Sasha gives, uh, Kate this, like, thing she's had around her neck the whole time, which we think is just a necklace, but apparently it's like, it's, it's a something, but we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, the cube starts to collapse, uh, in a pretty okay effect, um, Kate, I'm sorry, Kate jumps through the last door to get out. And we get a really nice trippy sequence where we go outside the cube and we see how all the cubes intersect four-dimensionally and it makes all these neat shapes. It's, it's, it's a great trippy scene. Uh, and then suddenly Kate wakes up in this big pool of water having emerged from the hypercube. Uh, and there's all these eyes on people there. And, you know, did you retrieve the device? Yes, I did. And they put the thing she got from Sasha into this little floaty rectangle thing. Then, because it's a conspiracy movie, they shoot Kate in the head uh, and clear the room. And that's the way the movie ends.
0: Yeah, there's a line of dialogue that says something like, phase two is terminated, which is just like, you don't need that dialogue. We can clearly see something has ended here when you shoot someone in the head. I I was thinking, you know, when she was in the other room and you see all the office guys, it reminded me a little bit of The Matrix with Agent Smith.
1: Kinda, yeah. So... So one thing that, that that bothers me about this is that apparently there's been a MacGuffin this entire movie. It's just not introduced until the final minutes of the film. I know the it final yeah, minutes of the film. It, it feels cheap. It feels unearned. I don't mind that the end of the movie
0: is, um, you know, d- depressing and it's like, oh, the man, the corporation
1: always wins, man. Like that's fine. Well, no, but, no, I, that 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 works. It's it's just. It's and and, you know, and I like the idea that someone in the group is in fact a plant. Yeah, Yeah, it's but I, I, it's if if there's a MacGuffin, like the MacGuffin is introduced way too late for me to care about it. Like, I don't think we need that to justify why there's a plant inside the cube.
0: You could have even had it where a character. Wore the necklace, and he would keep on cutting to close-ups of the necklace, and the person kind of, you know, uh, I was gonna say fingering the necklace. That sounds terrible. But like, you let, know, the,
1: let us know it's important because I think because yes. we'll, I think we only see it one other time. Because when when Sasha first in in the corner of the room, she she I believe she is holding the pendant, but she like tucks it into her shirt, uh, and it's it, it's too it's too subtle. It like it just makes it seem like such a throwaway thing. I'm liking this quote from a review of this film from uh, Bloody Disgusting.
0: If you are a big fan of the first Cube and expect a little less, you will enjoy Cube Two Hypercube. <laughs> that's damning <laughs> with faint praise. Um. Yeah, I mean this this movie exists. I don't know. I wasn't. I, it's not one I I see again. That's for sure. But before we give our, our ratings on it, I was highly amused. Uh, we had talked about. Cube feels very video gamey in some way, right? You're going to different rooms, you're trying to solve puzzles. <laughs> yes. There's people, and so I thought, well, surely there's a cube video game, and the answer is yes and no. There is a um, a series of two computer games, one which is called Cube, the other which is called Cube Two Sauerbraten, Braten, and uh, which is German for sour roast. And um, however, they're first person shooters, not related to the movie at all. They just um. happen to be named Cube, and happen to have come out around the same time.
1: Like, I feel like someone could make a really kick-ass mod for Portal that is this movie. Oh, man, yeah, that'd be cool. Or even, like, what if there was some,
0: some game where it it came with the short campaign, but it came with an editor, right, where people could make their own trap rooms and oh, then give man. them for other yeah. people to... I'm thinking about, like, the Mario Maker game, right, except for it being 3D. Yeah, I mean, that could be something. But the Cube has such a great premise, and they've been trying to get a remake uh, of the original off the ground for years, which I don't blame them. I think you could... But things like um, well, Saw or Paranormal Activity or, or The Purge, you know, or all these low budget um, horror cheapies doing so well. Um, like, it's a fine time to bring Cube back. I just hope when they do, they, they do a smarter job of it. I give Cube to Um It's It's imaginative in, in some ways and yet looks cheaper with worse acting. There's some okay characters. The the scene with the, the spinning multi cube tornado thing I liked, uh, but I, I cannot in good faith recommend this movie. Sequel no.
1: Yeah, I, I like watching this film, but I hate thinking about it. And those are some of the most infuriating infuriating films possible. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a very very mild sequel no. It's it's probably only for completists. Right, but hey, um, it's blessedly short, though, at 94 minutes, so you're not out too <coughs> much time.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: All these movies are short. I'll
0: give them that for the credit. Um, okay, so, sequel, uh, pitch sequel. I have something in mind. Yes? Yeah. So, the way this movie ends, it it talks about the the Aizon Corporation and everything, and... Um, If phase two is the the hypercube, you know, what is phase three? So it just would be called cube phase three. And we had a cube that moves through space. We have a cube that moves through time. What if we have a cube that doesn't exist at all? It's just in people's minds. So you would have, and that would be, I guess, sort of the reveal at the end of the movie is you think, it's a regular cube, but then it turns out it's just... They are. They have a guy, Aizon has a, a guy or a girl, I guess, I'm not sure. It could be one of each, I guess, um, attached to a chair, and they keep on injecting random images in their head, and at the same time inject a, a, a program in their brain that generates cube, cube trap rooms based on whatever images are projected in their head. And the goal is to try and figure out some sort of... Uh, to help
1: development of some sort of mental uh, weapon interesting actually there there are a lot of horror manga that have like premises like that where something gets in your head and slowly drives you crazy like I'm kind of I'm kind of imagining like spiral oh I haven't thought of that one in a while yeah that's a good one um like, I, I like the idea of a memetic attack like that that's pretty cool mm-hmm yeah. All right, so so my pitch of sequel is going to be, I I really want to do a movie that takes advantage of the fact that you can travel through time with a hypercube. So I'm going to do cube cubed uh, mega cube, and the way this is going to work is there's only one person trapped in the cube, but mm. it's one person in the cube several times from different parts of their own life. So someone has, whoever this person is, someone has, ta- has abducted him multiple times or her perhaps throughout, throughout their life and put them in this cube so that this person is interacting with various future and past selves from a teenager all the way up to an elderly person who may in fact be getting some creeping dementia. And just like this movie, they've got to survive and hypothetically find their way out. Uh, and each one of these people has kind of a each one of these versions of this same character has a different perspective on the cube like for instance like the the 20 something versions like oh well my old self is here so obviously i must get out and live a really full life before getting put back in again so i'm not in danger i'm invincible and he kind of reflects that kind of feeling of invulnerability and immortality you have in your 20s Uh, But as you get older, they start to get more cynical to the point where like the middle age, the, the one that's in the perfect age to have a midlife crisis, is pointing out, all right, me, you've all only been in this cube for a few hours. They put me in here years ago. I have been trapped in here for years. And I've seen all of you fail the last time I went through. And so all these versions of himself... He is trying to reconcile a timeline in which he can get out of the cube and be free of it. Um, And in the end, I feel like the the only way this movie can possibly end is if the youngest version of the character takes their own life, thus preventing all of his future selves from being put back in the cube and repeatedly tortured. And what would you call it? Uh, 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 cube, cube, cubed, mega cube. Not just mega cube. Well, I mean, mega cube could work. I mean, I realize cube cubed is a ridiculous title. Cube, oh, and cube, of course, cube. One version of him will be the threat. You know, one version. Of ah, him yeah, will be will be the threat. Um. But again, I just I, I I want I think that would be such a fascinating character study to have a person interacting with themselves from various points in the past and future. Pretty At least cool. one of which has had their memory erased and doesn't remember any of their previous experiences in the cube. Sounds pretty good. Um, all right, so uh, I think you got a question for me, Thrasher. That question is. When are you going to pay me that five bucks you owe me? Also, uh, what you watching?
0: You know, I think I made up for the, the five dollars the um, the time I, I ordered flan while you were suffering an allergic reaction to a shrimp dish at a Mexican
1: <laughs> restaurant. But that's that's neither here nor there. No, oh, um, and that time your lust for desserts almost got me killed. That's a true story, uh, listeners. It is. I
0: don't know if we've talked about it, but yeah, I... I, I I, I sometimes entertain people with that story today, although by entertaining, they just call me an asshole, which uh, I I earned, certainly, in that instance. Oh, but please, can I have the flawed? Oh, to go. Yes, oh, we can wait. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We'll do a sequel cast bonus episode of Embarrassing Stories. Our salad days, yeah. Um, okay. So, I, I've been watching uh, Uwe Boll movies for a longer form project I'm working on. I be where to announce about that at some other time. But I can't really talk Ooh. about it yet. Um, so going in order uh, on the, just the video game movies, I I was watching Alone in the Dark, starring Christian Slater and Tara Reed. Have you ever seen uh, this one?
1: Uh, or any no, Uwe no, Boll, for not.
0: that matter. Have you seen anything by Uwe Boll?
1: I've seen I've seen House of the Dead, and I've seen I've seen that movie he did inspired by Columbine. We watched that together actually. Oh yes, that was... I could swear I've seen one other movie he did, but I can't place it. House of the Dead is special, isn't it? Oh,
0: yes it is. Uh, Clint Howard, if nothing else. Um, But yeah, so Alone in the Dark, instead of being, you know, the the video games of Alone in the Dark were very, like, um, Lovecraftian and a a haunted house and those sort of things. And this movie is more uh, action-y, more based on the fourth game called New Nightmare that came out on PlayStation 1. And um, Christian Slater, you know, it looks better than House of the Dead. I think Christian Slater is pretty good. Uh, the What makes this movie live in infamy, however, uh, in the original cut, at least, is Tara Reid plays a, um... kind of like a, I think a paleontologist or something. And they find th- these kind of, like, magical artifacts that have something to do with the plot. And she's like, these have been found all over in places like Brazil, uh, Chile, and Newfoundland. <laughs> and I don't know if it's whether because... Uh, Il be is German that he missed the mispronunciation, or if he included it because he thought it was funny. But it's that Christian Slater doesn't react to it at all speaks to his talents as an actor. It's it's really shocking they would keep something like that in, and yet I'm glad they did.
1: Hmm. You know, all all I can think is that trailer for Venom where they keep pronouncing it symbiote. I've heard Marvel made fun of that in a recent comic. I'm sh- I am sure they
0: did. <laughs> I wonder if they pronounce it that way because Sony's a Japanese company and they're trying to. It's just so weird. It's...
1: No, it it has to it has to be, the it has to be that no one in that movie has ever heard that word said al- read aloud before, and so they're just assuming that's how it's pronounced because that's how it's spelled.
0: <laughs> I guess they could have said like symbiote. But
1: that's that's worse, but so I guess I guess we can be thankful that's slightly
0: worse. Before. Uh the rumor I've heard with Venom, and I don't know if it's true or not, because it's a rumor, of course, um, is that he only turns into Venom in the last ten minutes of the movie.
1: I could totally buy that. I could totally buy that happening. I hope that's not the case.
0: And it ends with Venom opening his mouth and the camera zooms into his teeth and then it end credits with a heavy metal song. Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> um God, why... I'd rather see a Carnage movie than a Venom movie, to be honest. But, okay, well, what about you, Thrasher? What have you been watching?
1: Alright, so I didn't think I was going to have a chance to see anything because I was just at the Origins Game Fair in Columbus, Ohio I was too busy running events and doing networking to actually watch a movie. However, the day after the Origins Game Fair, we were all chilling in the hotel because we didn't have to leave until the next day and what comes on the hotel TV... But Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, man. Had you seen this before? I, I had seen it before, but this this is one of those movies where if I see it's on wherever it is in the movie, I would just stop whatever I'm doing and watch the rest of it. I really, really love that movie. It's just, it's so it's so fascinating to see a, a chase movie that is one complete chase that cuts back onto itself like it's a chase but it's a big circle and you know it's a, a hyper violent recreation of what might otherwise be a Roadrunner Coyote cartoon with characters I give a damn about that is that is is commenting commenting on so many things commenting on consumerism politics, uh, sexism and misogyny there is so much going on in that movie in addition to just being balls to the wall crazy and having so much much fun world building that it doesn't waste time trying to explain and the plot
0: is uh, we're taking a car, we're driving someplace and we're driving back
1: like, I mean, the, in the most bare like, bones description, yes. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's a it's a chase, but it's one giant circle that that go that quite literally ends where it begins. Yeah, no, very exciting, and I'm
0: glad it was so good. You know, uh, George Miller had been wanting to do that movie for years, and uh, and budgets and other things have kept him from doing so. Um, the movie I regret we never got is they were very very close to having him uh, do a Justice League movie, even to the the part where uh, people were cast and they had costumes and
1: everything oh yeah i would love to have seen what he would have come up with yeah um was going to be very very outside of the box
0: um, so well, very interesting well, i guess we can talk about that too how is your convention how did that go
1: we had, we had a good time. Uh, it's like, I mean we all we always have a good time at Origins. We, we we have some of our favorite players there. Um, although one one of the highlights, so like a, a, my birthday happened to overlap with the convention, so I ended up going. So uh, Ulysses North America, uh, they're releasing Wrath and Glory, the Warhammer 40k RPG that I contributed to. Um, they came out with a free RPG day scenario packet. Uh, And the developer, uh, Ross Watson, had arranged to have a release party for it uh, at this uh, really awesome pub called the Three-Legged Mare. I thought I wasn't going to be able to make it there because we had one event that day that overlapped with the release party. But I managed to make it there. I got to hang out face-to-face with uh, some of the other developers, most of which I had not had a chance to meet in person. Uh, Was gifted with a crate of the scenario because they ended up having uh they they ended up having like two boxes left over after the the release event. Uh you know just had some really great conversations with people, uh got to hang out with the uh, the Torg Eternity line developer. Hopefully, you know that I, that can play out. And then afterwards, I went back to our hotel uh and ended up, you know, just having a nice little impromptu birthday celebration uh with with a lot of my really good friends, a lot of our best players, and also some of the Catalyst Game Labs team. Mm. They ended up kind of getting, like they—they they were there too, and they—they they are. It's the first I've—I've I've met them on several occasions. This is the first time I've ever really hung out with them. They are great to hang out with.
0: Well, oh, very cool. It's always neat to uh, to meet, you know, to take advantage of networking and meeting people in person at those uh,
1: scenarios. Yeah, and it's certainly it is certainly like the most fun I've had at Origins in a long time. Cool. Well,
0: fun. Um, let's see, what else? Well, I think we have a scene we want to do. As as is, tra- as is the new tradition. Yep, uh, sequel scenes. So, who do you want to be? This is a part from the Cube 2 where it's Simon Grady, the detective, and Jerry, who is the uh, guy who helped build some of the doors.
1: Oh, gosh, I'm I'm, I'm really torn, because I want to do a sinister Simon Grady, but I also want to do a real kind of nebbish Jerry. Um... How about I be Simon, then? All right. You'll be the nebbish
0: Jerry. Um, look, let's just keep this between us for now, hmm? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, here's the deal. I'm a private investigator, and uh, I'm on a case. Missing persons.
1: Well, given our current situation, that counts as irony.
0: You're right. And uh, I think they stuck me here because of. because of her, Becky Young. They seem to have emptied my pockets of everything else but my knife and this. Maybe it's a message or a warning. Here's the kicker Guess who she worked
1: for? Eyes on. End scene. You know, that is such a, a go-nowhere subplot. I'm kind of shocked we didn't mention it, but yeah, Simon Grady was sent on a missing person case to find this this woman who worked for Aizan. She ends up in the cube later in the movie, and he finds her, and he just kills her. Yeah, it, it makes me think, maybe in an original version of the script, they did a better job of tying all the characters in the cube together. Well, part of me wonders, was he also a plant was he sent in the cube to kill her? Which is why he's the only character that had that had a piece of equipment from the outside, in this case his knife? Could be. The movie is so cut to ribbons you can't even tell. Yeah, I would really like to know what that original script was. I wonder if it exists anywhere. Listeners, if you to... know where the original yeah. script for Hypercube is, find a way to get it to us. Right. Um, so
0: for, uh, let's see, so you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T, follow the show at SequelCast2 uh, on Twitter. You can follow me at Internet Mayor. And there's one funny thing I want to point out that's sequel-related. We normally don't talk about news on here, but I have to make an exception. Um, so there's been a lot of stuff online about people upset with Star Wars The Last Jedi, and I guess oh. it's, I, I guess it's been firing up more lately. Because of um, you know the, the Han Solo movie not doing it as well in the box office as Disney would have liked, and Disney made an announcement they're going to not do any more or there's rumors that Disney is going to put on hold any standalone movies for the time being and just focus on Star Wars trilogies and because of all that there's a ridiculous petition on twitter fundraising campaign have you heard about this yes yes i have (laughs) to do a last jedi remake um seth rogan had some pretty funny and sensible
1: responses to it well his his responses and questions were so sensible that they are hilarious with within the contest context of this proposed notion of doing a remake of the last jedi (laughs) right and
0: um then one of the Lucasfilm creative execs, Pablo Hidalgo, was tweeting out some stuff about it, and I decided to respond with a uh, a partial crawl I made for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi remake. Yeah, and people have really warmed up to your
1: your. I'm really shocked. As
0: crawl. of this recording, it has 725 likes. It has um, almost 35,000 impressions. Um, Should we do a dramatic reading of that? <laughs> Yeah, do you want to do the whole thing? I guess we'll do the long version.
1: Y- yeah, uh, actually, uh, yeah, send it to me. Do you want me to do the, uh, the yes. narrator voice? um, hold on. I guess the other question is, do you want me to do, like, a Walter Winchell-style newsreel narrator voice, or something sort of more, something with more gravitas as befits uh, Star Wars? Do it, like, in the voice they use in the Clone Wars cartoon. Ooh, okay, let me, uh, let me bring this up. Okay, so... And all all the Star Wars fanfare. So Star Wars... uh, uh, Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi Remake. After coming back to life, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker kill all the women and the aliens. They make sweet love until they die in mid-thrust. However, they forget the children... Entering from a time warp, Solo's children from the Star Wars Legends line, Jaina, Jason, and Anakin are shocked to discover their father Han Solo dead, groin-deep in Luke Skywalker. (laughs) Using their force powers, they separate the heroic pair. Their strength alerts crime lord Shizor, who followed them through the time warp. The fate of the galaxy is in terrible peril.
0: (laughs) God, that
1: is too good. I'm especially proud of the line... Terrible peril. <laughs> well, that that could be it star, star Wars Episode Nine, the terrible peril. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's it featuring Star Wars um... so so, I mean, we we will of course cover the new Star Wars trilogy after the after Episode Nine uh, is released. So I don't want to I don't want to go through all my grist until then. Uh, and I and I do have some so I do have some issues with the Last Jedi. A handful of them, pretty harsh. But that being said. You know, Rain Johnson had the right to make that movie. It has the right to exist. Also, this isn't how movies work. Yes. This isn't how media works, period. None of this is how movies work, as an art form or as a business. Like, I I cannot tell (laughs) if these people are serious, crazy, or if this is all going to be part of some sort of weird epic troll. The the thing that
0: I think the tweet I liked the most was... um, <laughs> Ryan Johnson director of the last Jedi is greatly amused by this and then someone responded with they need to give these guys the money and then make this a reality show like project greenlight about the making of it and Ryan Johnson's response was oh my god
1: <laughs> well honestly my favorite response has been to to make to make this movie but you hire Ryan Johnson to do it but he has to do it as five short films, like in the Five Obstructions. <laughs> that yeah, that would be pretty good. Um, that I would, that I would straight up love to see. I mean, lest we forget, shortly after the Last Jedi came out on theaters,
0: some um, you know, perhaps well-meaning but foolish fan took a uh, he took oh, a uh, a bootleg. Yes, movie? he took a bootleg of the movie and cut <laughs> out all the women.
1: And then Brian Johnson watched it and tweeted about it, which is just crazy. <laughs> there's, there's a part of me that wants to see that cut. Like, you're, oh god, that that's not that's not gonna make the movie better. <laughs> but I, I feel like I could be entertained by its horribleness. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, that's fr- frankly, I want to take it further. I want an old a Porgs only cut. Just do the scenes with Porgs, and I bet you'll get a nice, tight little short film about Chewbacca reconciling with the Porgs.
0: I am just pleased there's concept art of Porgs looking at Luke's discarded lightsaber and then accidentally pushing a button and being impaled by it. There's production artwork of that in one of the books as a joke. Oh, but wow. But in the movie where the Porgs mess around with the lightsaber, I thought that was going to happen
1: now that would have been a subversion of expectations yeah
0: now you do see roasted porg on a spit but we're getting ahead of ourselves so next week we'll be talking about Cube Zero the conclusion to the Cube Trilogy Uh, for Sequel Cast 2 this is Matt and this is Thrasher saying
1: it's my watch this is this is my watch